What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. Thanks for joining our show. We're going to be talking today about conference realignment. This is probably our last non-Big uh, Ten show as far as the previews and then to get into the Michigan State basketball starting up here in just a couple months. This is football season's about ready to start too. We're going to be talking about specifically about the NCAA tournament. And what has happened is there's a lot been a discussion. Mike DeCourcy had a really good piece, which I'll link to in the show notes. Also, there's been a piece on um, Sports Illustrated from which quotes Greg Sankey, who is the uh, commissioner for the SEC, and with the comments about sort of look, adding a fresh look, <laughs> he's what the quote mark into for the NCAA tournament. But with the with football changing the dynamics of the conferences, making them bigger, SEC is obviously getting bigger. Big Ten is getting bigger, as we just talked about last week in the, the show about USC and UCLA. There are changes that are float. And so people are starting to question other things and, you know, specifically the big giant moneymaker and the, the biggest event probably in college athletics really is the NCAA tournament, the, the big dance, right? And so we're going to talk about that because there's rumblings about changing this. The tournament hasn't had a major change probably in what, 15 years when they added the first four of those, uh, the play-in games for the two, what, 15 or 16 seeds and then the two uh, 12 seeds that play each other or the two 12 seed playing games. Um and then before that, it, when the I think it was, what, 48 teams and there was 32. But back when Michigan State in the 70s won the NC tournament, I think it was, I think there were 32 teams. It was 40 teams at that point. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think we saw with the, with the emergence, really, I think of ESPN back in the 80s, where they were just jumping from game to game. It really they brought a lot of new energy to the NC tournament, putting, bringing a lot of eyeballs and a lot of revenue. And just it just became... Much like the Super Bowl, it just sort of became an event, and it's in and of itself. Every office has a pool. Everybody sort of talks about the tournament for a couple of weeks. It has become a cultural event, which very few sporting events are. I mean, like I said, the Super Bowl. I would even argue nothing in the NBA or maybe the World Series. Maybe people talk about that, but not really. Uh, so there really aren't many things that like everybody talks about. It's sort of like the show everybody watches that comes out, you know, back in the day when there are only three networks, right? That everyone's like, uh, you know, the honeymooners or something. Right now, there's not a whole lot that sort of unites people, but everybody is at least fills out a bracket, even though they know nothing about, you know, about college basketball. And so it is a thing. And so anytime people talk about changing this, I think, you know, it's worth a discussion. And certainly because, as we've mentioned in a number of shows this summer, Revenue, money drives all these decisions, and whether they're good decisions or bad decisions, they're driven largely by football. But because football has forced a 
realignment of the conferences and who's with the makeups of these conferences, it has certainly, you know, opened the door to discussions about how we might change the tournament. And so I think Mike DeCourcy had a good piece. Like I said, we'll link that in the show notes where he talks about potentially, you know, radically changing this tournament for the detriment. And so I, I guess I'll just let you kind of kick off where you want to start with the discussion, because I think most of us who are college basketball fans really like the tournament. And I mean, I was even less skeptical adding the four teams, <laughs> the planned games. So anything that radically changes it, I worry about changing the game dramatically or the sort of the event that, you know, makes it feel different and maybe loses its sort of unique specialness. To, to use an old cliche, a move, if, if radical change were to come, that would be the epitome of penny wise and pound foolish. So the idea is, as best as I can tell, that Greg Stanky, who is the commissioner of the SEC, which is obviously, along with the Big Ten, one of the two powerhouse football conferences. But let's be honest, apart from Kentucky, this is Jim Comperoni of Spartan Mag used to have a great line about the SEC. It's not quite as true as it used to be, but it's still kind of true. He used to call it third world basketball because the idea was <laughs> basically a lot of these games and a lot of these teams might as well be in, you know, uh, sub-Saharan Africa in terms of their relevance and in terms of the interest level not just from people uh, nationally, but even from their own fan bases. The old line used to be, well, the two biggest sports in the SEC are football and spring football, (laughs) outside of Lexington at least. And I still think that's kind of true. Now, I'll give the SEC credit. They've devoted a lot of their immense football television revenue to upgrading their basketball programs. If you look, a place like Alabama treats basketball more seriously than they ever did. Auburn, the same thing. Um, Arkansas used to treat it seriously, and they have a renewed, you know, Tennessee. These are these are programs that have become um, pretty good, or in recent years. But but seriously, what a commissioner from the SEC has to tell those of us who grow up in what's truthfully more basketball country about what makes the NCAA tournament work? Save it, Chief. I mean, I just. <laughs> I find the whole thing ludicrous. And and here was the essence of his argument. He made a reference to the fact that one of the schools in his conference, Old Miss, was considered the last team that got into the NCAA baseball field this year. And then they won the NCAA tournament. So I guess his argument is, well, we should be giving other teams in the major conferences who might now be on the borderline an opportunity because, you know, we could have a potential national champion. As DeCourcy points out in his article, if you look at the track record of the last Power Five plus one, if we include the Big East, the the last few teams year in, year out who get in from those conferences into the tournament, they're not winning titles. So his argument is is based on a complete fallacy. And baseball, a very different sport than basketball. Um, it's true that in the nature of a one and done tournament, like the NCAA basketball tournament, you could have that kind of situation arise, but it's highly unlikely. Um, so that's the first thing, but 
I think even the argument that he makes is is specious. But the fundamental crux of it is what you were kind of getting at, and I'll, I'll try to take a step or two further. What makes the NCAA tournament special and what garners the massive interest, in my opinion, particularly in the first weekend, so the first two games, is the chance of the major upset. And those things take on an entirely different um, – they, they are an entirely different thing when you are talking about a mid-major or, frankly, what you could even define as a low-major, a very small Division One school rising up and beating a powerhouse. You need look no further back than last year's tournament and witnessing St. Peter's a very small school from, I believe, New Jersey, um, taking out Kentucky and Purdue. That drew massive interest, massive media attention. Those are the moments. I mean, Michigan State fans have been on the wrong side of it, right? Middle Tennessee, not that long ago. You know, most major programs have a negative moment like that where they got got by a, by a small school. Uh, we go back to Maryland, Baltimore County being the first 16 seed a few years ago to take out a number one in Virginia. The, these are the things that make the NCAA tournament special. If you look at the evolution of it, I think it really began to gain traction in a major way, obviously, with Michigan State, Indiana State, 1979. Magic versus Bird. That, that's the moment. It's still the most watched NCAA basketball game in history to this day. Um, that's the moment where the NCAA tournament really took on another life, but what sustained it and grew it from there was exactly, in my opinion, exactly what you talked about, which was ESPN beginning to get involved. And this is in the days for our younger viewers before you could literally watch any game being played. ESPN would do the whip around where they would cut it. There was a game that they were, they were featuring, but if there was a photo finish, in another game, they'd cut to that, so you'd see the end of it. Or, or if there was a major upset brewing, they'd cut to that. And it gave you this sense of a wild free-for-all kind of affair. And I think that aspect of things really gave even more life to the event. And it, so in the 1980s, 79 kicked it off, but it was in the 1980s that the NCAA tournament really began to take shape in its current form and capture the attention of the public the way it does. I am, I am a big sports fan in general, but college basketball, since I was a little kid, since, since Irvin Johnson got to East Lansing, that has been the sport I've cared about Michigan state basketball, in particular more than anything else. Um, so I am as much of a diehard college basketball fan as you could possibly be. I will freely admit for the vast, vast, vast majority of the country, college basketball only exists on the periphery from November to March. And then in March, then it becomes something that captivates people for a couple weeks or three weeks. Yeah, that's that's the truth. So this is the thing that makes college basketball special is the tournament. If you start screwing with that, you are insane. And any thought of 
changing the dynamic so that we are um and and Stanky, I think, was talking about growing the field. So we are currently, yeah, right. We're currently at sixty-four plus four, right? Yeah, or sixty-four. Yeah, yeah well, sixty-eight it's, teams. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, sixty-eight, 68 teams. teams. Okay, you start taking it to ninety-six, and it it just starts. The reality is that the last few teams that get into the field most years, you can look at and say, eh. Do they really, does it really excite anybody? I mean, look, Michigan state fans two years ago had, you know, thank God they, they shouldn't have been in the play in game. It was ridiculous that they were, but they were, that's how the committee. So it ended up that thank God the play in game existed, right. To keep the streak going. But most years you look at those teams and I think you say, well, these are, these are very, very flawed teams that nobody's really going to miss if they're in the field or not. You know, they're most times they're going to be around for a game, maybe two, and that's it. Occasionally you get a UCLA that makes a run like they did in the COVID year, but that's a, that's a massive or VC, uh, VCU, VCU yep. did it one year on a shock of smart, but those are massive outliers. That's not normal. And those teams had, you know, VCU in particular, no shot to win it. Once they got there, you could argue UCLA had a little better shot, but not much. Um, once they got to the final four. So, what are we doing here? What we're doing, what Greg Sankey is arguing for is I want even more of my powerhouse teams because by expanding to 96, I guarantee you, he does not have in mind, man, we got to find a way to get the fourth place team in the Missouri Valley into the tournament. That is not what he's thinking. He's thinking, I want, you know, 12 of my 16 teams in the field instead of eight or nine. The, the concern, though, I think the worry is not that. The, the idea of an expanded field, it would dilute things, and I, I don't think it would be as much fun. You're, you're just adding more kind of black games, which, frankly, nobody needs. But the real worry is, is not what Stanky is talking about specifically, which I think is kind of a ruse or a red herring anyway. I think what you've really got to be concerned about is one way or another, the NCAA tournament fundamentally changing its structure so that we no longer have smaller conference schools involved. And it's strictly heavyweights against heavyweights, something much more akin a little broader scope, but much more akin to what we have in football. And I'm not arguing about football playoffs. That's a topic for an entirely different discussion, but that's not what I think makes heavyweight against heavyweight only is not what makes the NCAA tournament special. What people love, what drives interest is the possibility of the out of nowhere upset. It is a, it is a huge fundamental part of what gives the tournament its excitement. And I think if you take that away, you have, this is where I get back to petty wise pound foolish. You may think that, well, we're going to make bigger schools are going to make more money because now it's all us and we're all, we're soaking up all those dollars, but I can't help but believe wholeheartedly that you will reduce the attractiveness of the event as a whole. And so there won't be as much money ultimately to play with. 
because the event itself is less compelling to people. Now, we had uh, we had a quote within the last week or so from the AD at Florida Gulf Coast, right? So Florida Gulf Coast, as a school, to some extent, got on the national map as a result of its basketball team's exploits in the NCAA tournament. There are these instances, particularly with smaller schools, of course, where a run by their basketball team puts the school in an elevated position in terms of visibility that it truly can have a positive bump impact on enrollment, on the caliber of students who are applying, all of these things. It's true. Florida Gulf Coast went through that. Uh, with, in our last episode, we talked about Andy Enfeld, the coach at Southern Cal. Well, he was the coach at Florida Gulf Coast when they had their Dunk City run several years ago. They had a highly entertaining team, played a very flamboyant, exciting style, a lot of dunks, as the nickname might <laughs> lead you to believe. And they pulled off a couple upsets. I think they got to the Sweet 16. 16, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hit, their AD stated that he believes there is an effort on the part of some major conferences, and I think the SEC, if I remember correctly, was cited um, to start changing the fundamental nature of the tournament so that if you were a champion of a mid-major conference, that doesn't necessarily automatically mean you get a bid to the tournament. And I suspect that he is probably onto something. Hopefully not what will happen, but what I definitely think is being thought about and discussed among some of these people. Um, This is a very complicated subject because it gets into, there's a lot of crossover with conference realignment and especially I think with the nature of what is going to happen next in terms of how major conference schools and their athletic programs are governed and organized. So right now we have a tournament that is literally called the NCAA tournament. That's the name. And it is the single biggest moneymaker for the NCAA. What happens if major conferences, and let's just assume that we're at the very least talking about the big 10 and the sec no longer have their athletic programs as part of the NCAA, but have rather created their own entity, which everybody I think is credible seems to believe is a matter of time. It may not be next year, but it's coming and it could be coming faster than anybody thinks. I I have, I have had discussions with some very smart, well-informed people who are involved on the television side of this one guy in particular who has insisted to me when I brought this up, and he's been right about a lot of what's come down the pike. He has insisted to me, look, these guys understand you can't screw with the NCAA tournament as it's structured. They're not going to do that. It's not on the same timeline anyway. What they will do is they will set up this governing body that will be outside the auspices of the NCAA, but it will likely only apply to football. Okay, maybe, but maybe not. I I remain highly skeptical that they will do that. And and so then the other response, which I've I've heard from him, was, well, even if that happens in basketball, those programs are under the auspices of this new entity. um, 
they'll still be, they understand that the tournament is what drives interest and makes money. And when, and when he said that to me, I thought, I don't know if that passes the smell test because if we've got an entity that is other than the NCAA and they're going to participate in a postseason event with schools who are still part of the NCAA, how's the money being split up? Who's governing it? And, and here's the thing I really find wild. If we have an entity outside of the NCAA, one of the major reasons for doing so is these schools don't want to be subject to the same rules and regulations that the NCAA imposes on all kinds of things, eligibility, compensation, et cetera. And I truly believe once that happens, we're going to see radical changes. I think you quite possibly are going to see student athletes classified as employees. There's a lot of reasons for doing this, by the way. It's not just all about a money grab. It's also getting on the right side of the law. Yeah. and antitrust there there are implicate legal implications for this but i think we're going to see all kinds of things like that you heard jack ebling on our show say he thinks it's he has heard from people he finds credible he didn't specify who that you could even have things like trades <laughs> imagine yeah. that i mean that is just mind-blowing i never went that far but so we can at least accept it will be a different world for schools that exist outside the auspices of the NCAA. How can you reasonably have a competition between schools that are operating under one set of rules profoundly different than, than what the other set of schools are operating under? How, it's, it's not a level playing field. At the very, You could say, well, how is it a level playing field now with a Big Ten school versus a MAC school? Of course, there are differences, but theoretically, at least, they all have the same eligibility rules. They're all capped at 13 scholarships per team. You know, they all are under the same kind of compensation rules, generally, at least they used to be before NIL has kind of upset the yeah, apple cart. Yeah. But but even that, there's at least some semblance, rough as it is, of a similarity. I, how, how can you have a legitimate competition? When Michigan State is paying its players a salary, not NIL, this is distinct from NIL, which will probably also be there. I'm talking about a salary, just like they were, you know, working uh, the midnight shift as a janitor at Erickson Kiva, <laughs> Erickson Hall, <laughs> like I did when I was at Michigan State, uh, except making a lot more money doing it, um, versus Eastern Michigan where at best they they might get a, a sponsorship by cottage and pizza in Ypsilanti. How is that the same world? You can't, do you know what I'm saying? That just, it, it beggars belief for me. So I am worried about this as a, as someone who truly loves this sport and loves the NCAA tournament, treats it as a holiday every March that first, you know, that first Thursday and Friday, it worries me because I don't think the AD at Florida Gulf Coast is crazy. I think he's right. He's right to be concerned. He's right to see this potentially coming down the pike. And I hope that uh, the person that I spoke to about this stuff um, is correct that, no, these guys are smart enough. They understand it. Uh, you would hope that at the very least, television 
would step in and say, guys, let's not kill the golden goose. Right. It's a billion dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. My initial problem is the concern of that it's going to go away because I think you look at the NCAA tournament, I believe it brings in a billion dollars in revenue to the NCAA. I mean, it's yeah. by far the biggest thing. And that's, you know, one of the arguments for adding a sort of NCAA tournament for football, because could you capture that same sort of excitement uh, with a, with it for football? Well, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen because the football schools and the conferences that control it have no interest in allowing the NCAA to be part of that. And if anything, the momentum is heading away from the NCAA. Right. But I think, you know, I think that's the initial thought of having a, a bracketed tournament that you'd have it structured similar to the, the, the basketball tournament, but structure not, would look the same. Yeah, yes. You're, you're not going to, but even if you, however you structure it, you're still not going to have the, I guess you could theoretically have upsets. You're not going to have these no schools that you've never heard of Winthrop. I mean, you know, half the schools, you don't even know where, what state they're in, much less, you know, you know, what, what conference or you haven't heard of the conference, right? That's part of the, all you got to do is go back to last year's tournament in St. Peter's. And we yeah. have examples of this, if not every year, then every other year, yeah. we have examples of the little engine that could, and it's because of the natures of the sport. Basketball is a 13 max scholarship sport where one player can very, very seriously impact the outcome of a game. That's really all it takes. That Curry, is going right? to That is that's right. a great example. Exactly. Another one that is, is inherently a more volatile sport in terms of likely outcome than an 85 scholarship sport where because of the nature of the game itself, it is much, much more difficult for one guy to dictate a result and i just right. look at the uh, all you have to do look at the look at the nfl even though it's a one and done format you very in my view at least you very rarely have significant upsets in the nfl playoffs we see it occasionally but not a lot it's usually if not the best team then clearly one of the best teams that get through college football. It's clearly that way. I mean, we, even when we've got heavyweights, so we have all major conference teams typically in the playoffs. Very rarely do you see an upset. And when we do it's, Oh, Clemson beat Alabama. Yeah. Okay. It's an upset, literally an upset, but is it really what people talk about when they, when you're talking yeah. about the NCAA basketball tournament? No, of course not. It's like Troy, it's like Appalachian state coming in and beating you at home or something. Right. I mean, that right. And how often happen. does that happen? I mean, I would say it never happens. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> not, not compared to basketball. And again, it's just the, the differences in the natures of the sport basketball in a yes. one and done format. If, if you do it like the NBA does it, where it's a best of seven, okay, you would see far, far, far fewer upsets. But because it's one and done and because of what we discussed, that one guy can disproportionately impact the outcome of a given game, you're going to have more of it. And that's what drives interest. No question. And and what drives interest for, much like the Olympics, you know, there's definitely people are interested in the, the athletic aspect of, you know, watching those, the events. But as important, maybe even more important are the storylines that go along with the games and, and, you know, with, and the upset is obviously the biggest storyline. You have a school that has, you know, enrollment of 
750 or a thousand kids against a, some state school with a 65,000 students and somehow Absolutely. they're managed to pull it off. Right. That is the magic of the tournament. And if you're, uh, you know, for a fan of one of those teams, like, you know, we, we, like you said, we've been on the wrong end of these, there, there is trepidation. There is fear every time, even if you're one and six, one versus a 16, right? You don't want to be that team that loses the 16 seat. There is pressure on all these games. If it was a three game series, you wouldn't worry nearly as much, right? Right. But because it's the one game you don't shoot well, someone gets hot, whatever. I mean, a million things can happen <laughs> and suddenly it's, it's a story. And that's, and, and by the way, I'll tell you who I think would be most upset about a fundamental change. Like what we're talking about, uh, sports books in Las Vegas. Yes. Because it is, I believe, I think it's second to the Super Bowl in terms of action. Yeah. But it's, it's right there, you know, it dwarfs anything else other than the Super Bowl in terms of driving, driving better interest. And if you take away this aspect of it, you know, somebody put money on a long shot, that's, you know, that's hurting them. They're not sure. excited about that. So I really, I really do. I worry that in this, what seems to be unstoppable momentum toward this new era many aspects of which I'm supportive of. I'm actually supportive of the idea of making student athletes employees, because I think in fact, that's literally what they have been in all but definition for a long, long time. This is not 1945. These guys, if you are on a major college football team, basketball team, et cetera, the sport is your job. Yeah, no question. And even if you wanted to work outside of it, even if you could, where would you find the time? especially if we're going to act like you were actually a regular student on top of all that, you know? So that, that plus the fact that we <laughs> were talking about these gargantuan contracts where big 10 schools could potentially be seen as much as a hundred million dollars in television rights fees annually after this round, this current round of negotiation is, is all said and done. I, Morally, legally, every which way you look at it, I think that is a positive thing. And it's never going to happen under the auspices of the NCAA. They have fought that, the, uh, the attempt to define them as employees every step of the way. I don't think that's going to change. And, and this is one of the areas where what drives a lot of this is major college programs, SEC, Big Ten, and to some extent, the other Power Fives, don't like the idea that they are subject to the same rules that Weber state is subject to. And the way the NCAA is set up, of course, there are many more of the Weber states of the world than there are of the Michigan states or whatever there is 360 some division one schools in, in basketball, at least they get outvoted. So if, if the Big Ten says, hey, we want to define, we want to treat our guys as, as employees. I'm not saying all the schools do, but if they want to, they have no shot because Weber State doesn't want to do that. And all the similarly sized schools don't want to be subject to that. So they don't do it. That this is part, that's only one aspect of it. There's a lot of reasons, uh, some of which come, most of which come down to money. But that's why they want to be free of this. Football, A-OK. -okay. I've got no beef with it. But when you start getting into basketball, 
and and again, as we've said many times in other contexts, basketball is not driving any of these trains. So basketball, unfortunately, could get wrecked by what football hath wrought. Yeah. I mean, that is a possible outcome. And that's what I worry about is that these guys are so focused on that aspect of it that they don't pay attention to this thing that I care about. And a lot of other, presumably anybody listening to this cares about, and it gets ruined or damaged at least as you know, collateral damage, so to speak. Um, that's what I worry about. Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, the one of the aspects too that we don't appreciate much, we don't talk about this show at all is gambling and gambling is a gigantic reason. And it's really one of the, probably the main reason the tournament has been so successful initially, right? Yeah. That gambling drives because you say, well, it, but gambling drives the, the eyeballs on TV, right? That's why a lot of people tune watch sports is the gambling reason. I mean, they're people who are passionate about their, their, their teams, but they're probably more people who are more passionate about, you know, getting their parlay to hits. Right. And so that's right. Those. So if you change the tournament and get less people who are interested in watching it because they're not gambling on it, you're going to, and, and those upsets certainly draw a lot of people in, right? Like, massive amounts of uncertainty draws people into gambling and sort of game yeah. of chance. Right. And that's, so if you remove that, you have really, you've wrecked your tournament in not only for the stories for the, the casual fan, but person, but the people who are gambling and those people you're going to, you would, you would for sure destroy it. And it'll be interesting guys to see how this, how they have to preserve it. Cause I imagine we're not the only ones who understand this. Well, this is what I've been told. This is what I've been told is that, Hey, these are smart. And I, and I buy that completely. But then I see a guy like Stanky popping off and I think, oh, God, maybe not. This is the this is the commissioner of one of the two major conferences, the, the two who have kind of Elon Musked their way off planet Earth. And now they're on they're on Mars terraforming it, you know, while the poor ACC and Big 12 and Pac-12 and the lesser leagues below them are stuck back here on a on a rotting earth. You know? yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what it feels like. And for that guy to be making some of the comments he's made, it really worries me because I think, well, I have to take him seriously. And is this, again, I think this 9016 bullshit is just that it's a ruse. I don't think he's seriously talking about that. I think he wants to get into an environment where, Hey, it's time for the big boys to run our own show. The problem is that show will not be as compelling. It just won't. And uh, that would be, uh, plus here's another aspect of it. Now think about this. We know full well that it is possible to have a truly elite basketball program and be at a school where football either doesn't exist or might exist at the division two or division three level. I give you Villanova. I give you Gonzaga. I give you Georgetown. Basically the, a good percentage of the Catholic schools fit that outside of Notre Dame and, and Boston college, I guess at Marquette. I mean, I'm naming off schools that have won national titles in the last 40, 50 years. You know, how do those schools fit into this future? Yeah, well, they don't, you know, you have, you have, you have fun. So it's not even just, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about the St. Peter's of the world being jobbed by this. That's true. But we're also talking about how do you fit in 
the basketball first schools, you know, where basketball truly is, it's not a Kentucky scenario. It truly is the thing that drives the athletic program at these institutions. How do they fit into this brave new world? I don't know that there's any clarity. Um, I have not been remotely satisfied with what I've seen in terms of detailed discussion from anybody that matters about what this stuff is going to mean for college basketball. That's just my two cents. I, I, I have seen good pieces like Mike DeCourcy's on why this is all a joke. And I would expect nothing less. He's a great writer and a guy who usually is on the right side of things, in my opinion, and understands this stuff. But um, I have not seen an AD, a conference commissioner, somebody say something that made me feel like, okay, they've got this. They understand they're not going to drive this train off the tracks. They're going to, they're going to figure out a way to do this. And maybe they will. Maybe the answer is you have an entity that exists outside the NCAA just for football and that everything else stays the same. But my problem with that, I hear that and that sounds great. And I want to believe that, but my problem is at a Michigan state or a Kentucky um, or Texas or an, or an Ohio state are, is it even remotely feasible that the basketball programs are going to accept having to operate under fundamentally different rules and horizons of possibility for their student athletes as the football programs do. So what I mean by that is, okay, football is now outside the NCAA. So effective immediately, we're classifying football players as employees. Um, and they're going to make a salary. But basketball players, nope, sorry, guys. It's NIL, that's it. Can you imagine that working? I can't. So I think once you cross that Rubicon into we're leaving the NCAA for anything, you're probably crossing it for everything, at least the revenue stuff. And then, and this is where we start getting back to legal implications. If you start getting into scenarios where football players and basketball players are employees, and I'm not going to declare myself an expert on Title IX by any means, but I know a little bit about it, and I know how to read a statute. <laughs> I kind of have a hard time seeing a scenario where you're not going to have to treat every athlete, male and female, within a sport or within, within your athletic department, I mean, the same way. NIL is, is an interesting workaround because it is not university derived revenue that goes, and I'm sorry if I stop me, if I'm getting into the weeds on this, but no, I think this is important discussion. NIL, NIL, the, the beauty of NIL is if you're a fan of a football or basketball program is that money isn't subject to title nine implications because it's totally outside the auspices of the university. The university is not providing that benefit. It's, a car dealership or boosters, you know, or whatever, but it's coming from the outside. If you start getting, and again, I think there are perfectly legitimate reasons why these schools are sooner or later, probably going to move to an employee model. I really do believe that. Um, then I think title nine is going to 
effectively mean they're going to have to make all student athletes employees. They're not going to be able to tell the women's crew team, sorry, you guys don't get, um, you guys don't get uh, the benefit of a salary. And, and that is profound. So once you start getting into these areas, it starts to, in my opinion, get harder and harder to say, well, we can draw the boundary at just football. And then everything else is operating differently. And if it starts operating differently, then I don't, I struggle to see how you can keep this thing we call the NCAA basketball tournament intact. I hate to be depressing about it, no, but that's, I, I, I can see ways around it. I could imagine you could have, you could have uh, them agree to a certain amount of slots, right? Like we get, you know, as the power five conferences, we get whatever, 38, 42 slots and the remaining 20 or 18 or whatever go to the remaining conferences and you can divvy them up however you want, whether you do an automatic bid, but, but it becomes complicated. And I think to your point with, with paying athletes too, I mean, this is, goes a little bit off for discussion about the tournament, but in some ways it's germane to it. Right. I think it's hard to imagine that you're going to be able to pay because what happens if you have title nine, you're going to, you're going to immediately get into if not a legal reason, at least a PR reason, you're going to have to be paying athletes the same, no matter what sport they're playing. Right. Oh, it will. No, it will be legal. And, and so, and so now, so now you're paying non-revenue. I mean, uh-huh. not a single women's athletics department makes any money they're all yep. money losers, I guess, in that sense. Right. Uh, you know, you're paying cheerleaders, you're paying dance team members, you're paying, I'm trying to think of all the people, right. Are you paying? On the and band? On and on. I mean, you know, and it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be, it'll be very difficult, I think, to try and make this work. There's, there's no good way, right? This is all the hard part is you have, you always have Title IX. Anytime you start talking about financial implications of any of this stuff, you always have Title IX looming because in the, in the quote unquote real world, this is not an issue because, oh, well, football is the only money maker we have, or football and basketball are the only two that make any money. So, of course, we treat those people differently because that's a productive activity. And the stuff that isn't productive, meaning it's not producing a profit, well, that's just not, the money's not there. Sorry. But that's not how it works. That's not how, that's not how the legislation works. And it won't work that way. And you're 100% right the women's volleyball team members will have to be paid exactly the same as men's football in terms of a salary. That is a fact that is not up for debate. That is what will happen. So how all this stuff plays out. I, anyway, it's a, look, we don't have all the answers. I'm just raised. I guess the best we can do is raise some of the questions and kind of encapsulate what's currently out there in terms of the nature of the discussion, but it is a daunting time. And, you know, I go back to something I think we talked about several months ago where Notre Dame's athletic director, Jack Swarbuck was quoted. And of course, a lot of what he was talking about has come to pass much, much, much quicker than he thought. And I said that at the time that he had talked about mid 2030s, as the time when the chickens would all come home to roost. And I believe my comment then was, I think he's talking his book maybe because he doesn't want it to come faster than that, but I can't imagine a world where it doesn't. And we're getting there, you know, plus the other thing too is, and, and this gets back to the NIL 
um, aspect of things. Uh, you've seen a lot of uh, college coaches, particularly in football, come out almost as anti-NIL. And I think the reason is not that they don't want players to be able to receive some level of compensation, but the concern is there are no rules. There are no guardrails. And the first thing you're going to see when, I don't think it's an if, when at least football splits is those schools will agree to guardrails. There will be some standards in place as to how NIL functions. God help us, we could have a salary cap of sorts. I mean, I really do think that's not off the table. Um, And that's another motivator for why they want this stuff to happen. But anyway, it's a complicated picture. But one one other near-term aspect I wanted to talk about that's at least tangentially related to this stuff concerns television. So we talked in our last episode about the addition of USC and UCLA. And of course, a big, big part of what drove that is television, specifically the money that schools can make from television agreements on a conference basis, and also the money that the television networks can make. Yeah. As a result, what, what kind of content do they have in a given conference deal, right? So that's what drove, it drove Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. It drove UCLA and USC to the Big Ten. It may yet drive Notre Dame into a conference. We'll see. Um, but basketball has some interesting components. So to catch people up, if you haven't been paying close attention, it appears a virtual certainty that the Big Ten will no longer have an agreement with ESPN going forward. It, it's agreements, at least in football, are going to involve Fox, which it's already had, NBC, CBS, and a, I think most believe a streamer to be named later, which is either Amazon or Apple. We'll see. Here's what's interesting. There's a couple interesting things about this from a basketball point of view. Um, the, f- the first thing is that you no longer have a presence on ESPN. Okay. We know a lot of games end up on the Big Ten Network. We also know that Fox has a number of games. They'll do games on weekends. They also do a lot of games on FS1 during the week. But now, and CBS has their Sunday game, typically. So I imagine that's going to stay intact. I have not been able to get clarity on this. And again, it shows you how football-centric all these discussions are. Um, My assumption has been that this has to be, these television deals have to be all sports, all, all rights, which practically means just football and basketball. So that would mean no more basketball on ESPN. But I haven't gotten 100% confirmation of that. I've been able to find it at least. I'm assuming that's the case. So if that's the case, um, where are those games, which I'd have to look and see over the course of a given week during the conference season, where do those games go? Is FS1 going to just dramatically increase the number of Big Ten games they're showing? And is that it? Are we going to see games start getting farmed out to Peacock? Yeah, Paramount or whatever, yeah. Paramount Plus? 
I mean, both of those networks, I look, I have a Paramount Plus subscription in part uh, because they have uh, some U.S. men's national soccer team games, which I have an interest in. So during qualification, there were some games that were only available on Paramount Plus. So they do sports. And, and if, if you're running one of those two streamers, boy, you'd love to get your, your hands on, you know, Iowa, Nebraska on a Tuesday night in February. I mean, you really would. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, right. Because that would have more appeal than most of what you're currently running. Um, nothing trumps live sports because it's the one thing that has a timeliness factor. Everything else, hey, you can watch it whenever. Live sports, you want to see it when it's airing for the most part, right? So it would really matter. I think that will be interesting to see how that goes. I think from ESPN's point of view, I think this is a disaster. It's an absolute disaster because by losing the Big Ten, they are effectively out of a good number of the major markets in this country. And that cannot come without a cost. I don't mean that the network won't be available, but the network is not going to draw people's attention. People in the upper Midwest and now people in Los Angeles and people in the DMV during the winter are going to go to where the Big Ten games are. They just are. And ESPN can try to combat that with whatever third world SEC game they want to throw up there. The interest is just not the same. It's different than than SEC football. So ESPN and ESPN is also going to take a big hit, a huge hit on the football side too, in my opinion. I think I think they just. I'm not saying it's the death now by any means, but I think it's a heavy, 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 heavy hit. You cannot lose the Big Ten entirely, as it appears they have, and think that doesn't hurt your bottom line. It does. You you just can only argue about the degree. And ESPN's bottom line was not doing well anyway. They arguably <laughs> they had overpaid for so many different these, um, yep. these live sporting events with they just couldn't. I mean, they just couldn't afford them, and so right. they, they were kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place, right? Exactly, exactly. That's what I was going to say because if you that's fine to say, and I'm sure there's truth to it, but then if you don't have the content, where are you? If you don't have content, people are interested in watching. That's not a positive for you either. So it maybe becomes an unvirtuous cycle, you know, where it's we don't have the money to pay for the stuff people want to pay attention to, but because we don't have the stuff people don't people pay attention to, we we don't have eyeballs, which means we've got less money, you know, and and on and on we go. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to watch. Here's another thing, basketball centric, and then I'll, I'll leave it with this. Um, People may not realize this. ESPN owns the vast, vast majority of the holiday tournaments. So the stuff we watch over feast week, as they call it now, during Thanksgiving week, most of those, I would guess 80 to 90% of those events are actually owned and operated by ESPN. Um, I think Battle for Atlantis is the one big exception, but I know they own Maui. So they own one of the two big ones and most of the other ones you see. What happens? Can you possibly dream of holding those events without inviting Big Ten teams? And what happens to them? I don't know the answer. I just see the question looming. Here's an even bigger one. There was a report on a Duke message board that 
ESPN has already determined that they will bring an end to the Big Ten ACC challenge and replace it with an ACC SEC challenge. Oh, possible because they will have both of those conferences on their network. But does that excite anybody as much? Probably not. It's a le- again, it's a lesser. It just is. It's a lesser event. And that's because fewer people in the SEC footprint give a shit about college <laughs> basketball. It's just a fact. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'd love to bag on those hillbillies anyway, but, but I, I'm also speaking the truth here. They don't care as much. They just don't. And that's borne out by every metric you want to cite. Um, but I think it also creates an issue for the big 10. Of course, are you going to lose the big 10 ACC challenge? Um, what happens to participation in the holiday tournaments? Now I'm, I'm trying to think, I think that I don't know that ESPN has any agreement. I believe the big East has an agreement with Fox sports in totality, I think, but I'm not positive of that. I'd have to go back and look. I'm trying to think of a scenario where a league was at least a significant league was entirely out of any conference game broadcasts of ESPN and, and still was participating in those holiday tournaments. That's the one that really interests me along with the fate of the big 10 ACC challenge. It, I will say this fans of the Gavit games. And I know there've got to be about five of you out there. <laughs> Um, can feel pretty good because the Big East and the Big Ten are both Fox Sports partners. So that will surely continue to my eternal frustration. I think that thing is a a nuisance more than anything else. It's just one more high major game for Michigan State, I mean, where you already play a ton of them. Um, We don't need it, but we have to play it. So this year we get Villanova. Great. so are you saying there's a, even like the champions classic is that that's, I assume a ESPN thing, right? So that's an important one too. What happens to Michigan state's participation in the champions classic? Do they, does Michigan state get removed despite the fact that the event was created in essence by Michigan state's then athletic director? I don't know, but it's a, it's a valid question too. I'm glad you raised that. So a lot of this stuff to me, is in the to be determined category we just don't know and and again everybody who's speaking on the television issue is totally and entirely and solely focused on football nobody right now or very very few people are speaking to the basketball ramifications so i don't know is the best answer i can come up with on all of it but it it concerns me why, why does it matter if the tournament, I, I guess I don't understand with the participation, does ESPN, do they schedule the teams that go show up in Maui or how does that work? So if, so, do, so if they say, all right, Big Ten said, we're not going to have a, you're not going to carry any of our regular season games. That doesn't ex- exclude them from being in a non-conference or preseason games, right? Correct. Well, for, to give you an example, right? Notre Dame has a contract with NBC. So they have games with teams and other conferences that show up on NBC. So Michigan state, which has no official had before this latest iteration, no official uh, affiliation with NBC would still, when they played Notre Dame in football, occasionally have the Michigan state Notre Dame game on NBC. 
yeah. right? That would still happen. So Notre Dame, I believe, could end up, obviously, in a road game, could end up on another network. You know, I think what it comes down to is not the theoretical possibility of it happening, but rather what will ESPN do? Will they want to have these Big Ten teams that they no longer have any representation with or affiliation with, will they want them participating in events that they control? I don't know. I mean, the, the Big Ten ACC challenge is a big one because that's entirely an ACC deal. Yeah. I, I don't know, or entirely an ESPN deal. I yeah, mean. right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how that, I don't know how it works. And I really am. I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see somebody who has knowledge of this stuff actually speak to what the ramifications are for Big Ten basketball. You know, is it is it that we're just going to lose all of these things that have become part? And it's a bigger deal for Michigan State because Michigan State is always in the, the challenge, of course. They're always in a holiday tournament, but they're also always in the Champions Classic. And, you know, you're talking about what Duke, Kentucky, Kansas. Well, all three of those schools, at least for now, are in ESPN affiliated conferences. So, you know, they're not going anywhere. Now, I do one one thing to offer here that's important. My understanding is that the contracts, even for like the Champions Classic, run through at least 2025, I think. So it's not likely that we'd see a change, say, for next season, regardless. But I don't I just don't know how it works out. It's let's put it this way. Is it if you're ESPN, there's two motivations at work here. One is why do we want to build up a, a program on our airwaves that we don't derive any true financial benefit from? Why do we want to give them that? Okay, that's the first thing. And then the second thing, which is certainly far from beyond the realm of possibility when we're talking about that network, is why wouldn't they just be petty about it? And say, oh, the Big Ten left us. Screw you. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think that's a distinct possibility. And Michigan State fans, of course, can have an understanding of how different aspects of ESPN's operation can get extremely juvenile. Yeah. And and ludicrous. You know, so I put nothing past them. There is a part of me that is thrilled by this because I, I do think ESPN as an entity lost its way a long, long time ago. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about what gets some people exercise the, you know, Oh, they've, they've strayed into politics. I don't give a shit about that because I don't watch the talking head shows, but the way they have handled certain aspects of sport, has been counterproductive in my mind. And I take great glee in the idea that um, they have been damaged by this, by my conference. I, I really do. I love that. You know, before this, I think it, it's been tough. Fox has obviously sunk a ton of money into their sports operation and they've come a long way, but it's, it's, 
been impossible for anybody to truly match ESPN, but this is a big deal, this thing with the Big Ten. I mean, it really is. And, you know, ESPN, you were talking about the fact that they've they've suffered by maybe overspending for some of the things that they've they've had on their airwaves. I also think we have to consider that they are part of a larger entity in Disney that has taken a ton of hits yeah. in recent years. So it's probably in the long run, it's all good news. If you don't like ESPN, which I think a lot of our listeners probably <laughs> fall into that category, but um, in the short run, there's some of these questions out there that I just don't know the answers to what happens, but I think they're legitimate questions. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. And uh, I don't know, I guess it's a both discouraging and encouraging sort of discussion and very much wait and see. We started the, just talking about the the NCAA tournament and how that may change and kind of got all over the place, but I think they're all related, right? I think all those they things are. are. That's why I brought it up. I, right. I yeah, think absolutely. It is. They're all, they're interrelated and um, they all affect decisions that are made at, with, with each other. And so you, you can't look at them in isolation. You have to sort of take it in totality and it's um, a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that probably in many ways they don't talk to each other, right? Like the TV doesn't necessarily talk to the conference or they don't have a good, probably easy communication. So it'll be interesting to see how those things work itself out. I think what we can feel confident about right now is that everything's going to be the same this year. <laughs> There's no additional yes. teams of the Big Ten. Nothing's changing next the month. Same. Right. Everything's the same. I know the Big Ten tournament's going to be in Chicago and next year's going to be in Minneapolis. So oh, I know those God things. intended it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Nothing no like DC, Minneapolis. No New York. Yeah, I actually I'm kind of looking forward to Minneapolis. We go to the we go to the Big Ten tournament every That's year. That's fine. So it's anything been fun. in the traditional Big Ten footprint, I'm okay. But but by the way, get ready for a tournament at uh, Staples Center, Staples or whatever Center. they're calling it. Oh, now. It's called something like Crypto.com yeah. Center or something. Crypto.com. Like that? Yeah. yeah, I knew there was a new name. Yeah, uh, yeah Crypto.com. Get ready. I guarantee That's be a tough you drive. that will be on the schedule. <laughs> That is a tough drive because I always, I always leave right after I get out early on work on Wednesday and we drive down, we drove down to Indianapolis, we go to Chicago. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit hard to make it to Los Angeles. Yep. That may pack, be one we just watched. Pack a lunch. Yep. Yeah, or a couple. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, again, I'd encourage you to go to TFFI Knots or the Final Four is not on the schedule.com and there you can join our community, sign up for a forum. It's free. Our intention for this show is to keep it free. And so we encourage anyone who, feels compelled to go to uh, the support page or you can sign up to be a Patreon member and support us monthly. We have some various um, levels of provide merchandise or uh, sponsorship opportunities. You can also give one-time gifts via PayPal, which people have done. Uh, and then hit us up on email at tffinots at gmail.com. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the show, we're more than happy. We're always trying to improve the show and add new content and add different uh, levels of in our production. And finally, uh, I'd encourage you to go to your podcast player and leave a written review. And I'd like to add just a brief little postmortem to the show that after recording this, the Big Ten had their gigantic television deal signed with NBC, CBS, Fox, Peacock, and the streaming service we were suggesting might be Peacock actually is the one that ended up being part of the deal. And the most immediate impact this will have, of course, is that my family will need to buy another streaming service. But until next time, the final four is not on the schedule. Go green.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.